And welcome to yet another edition of your favourite gaming cast. It's Hack the Dino, bringing you all the gaming and casting it directly into your face, like some kind of game-filled pie. Watch those corners, they'll have your eye out. I am... What am I this week? Uh, I, I, I'm... I'm... Uh, uh, the, the stuttering person, Ben Rosenthal. And I'm joined by one of my co-hosts, Anto! Hello, everyone. Uh, I was going to say that you are the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle himself, Ben Rosenthal, but the stuttering guy, Ben Rosenthal, works just as well. Well, I think the stuttering guy is more of a, a villain. Yeah, like, I think turtles, that works. The turtles come to steal his pizza, and uh, he's like, uh, no, not my pizza. Don't, 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 please don't. And uh, they feel sorry for him, so they slice his... Adam's Apple. Anyway, uh, we've got a great show for uh, everyone tonight, as opposed to the bad show that we usually do. Uh, I've uh, done some research, Anto. Well, mm -hmm. not some research. It, it's it's a well-known myth. Um, Sword Quest. We, we yes. all know about Sword Quest. Uh, yeah, it's quite a legacy. Yeah, quite it's a... an old adventure game on the Atari that had multiple games and didn't end in a satisfying way. No, and you could have won a big, giant gold sword that uh, seems to have disappeared because one of the greedy cocaine filled execs allegedly um, stole it <laughs> allegedly when Atari was divided into three separate companies or something like that mm -hmm. anyway we're gonna we're gonna talk about Atari tonight we're gonna have uh, a fun old time talking about their 50th anniversary and some releases they've got up uh, a bit of the history into Atari okay and uh, sword quest might come up so uh, quickly use your little fingers to do some sword quest searching and uh, uh, learn yourself some facts, because Sword Quest is coming at your face like a, a, a nun's first curry. Just just escaping out and coming out fast. Or a or quiz, you could say. Yeah, that, that too. That too. But <laughs> I have a bit of a surprise. I Ooh. have a bit of a mystery topic, or a mystery topic, if we were in France. And I was French. <laughs> okay. And added accents. I'm all of those things. I'm one of those things. Which well, one pretty is accurate. It? It's up to, it's up to you to guess which one. Uh Anto, I've got a mystery topic for you. Sorry, okay. mystery topic. Mystery uh, topic. <laughs> now I want you to try and guess what that topic is. Uh you're a big Nintendo guy, so I'm mm -hmm. guessing something to do with how Nintendo used to own brothels? They didn't own brothels. That's a lie. That's a oh. that's a horrible, slanderous lie. I'll have your ear. Allegedly. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's it's to do with uh, um, it's to do with clouds. Okay, so we're talking weather patterns and how there was a drought that ran from like two thousand nine to twenty sixteen in Australia. K kind of, kind of, a little bit more focused on on um, well, you know, the thing about clouds is that they they often have angels in them and sometimes i thought we weren't going to get religious on this show <laughs> well like this isn't the traditional angel it's only got one wing yeah Can i'm not following that just sounds like you've murdered an angel and ripped one yeah. of its wings off well yeah well that's true i mean no but if i had the opportunity hell yeah um <laughs> look uh, pollution's bad right i mean generally yeah um yeah 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 don't don't you think it would be a real good time to talk about 
uh, some kind of movement, like an avalanche, to to stop sort of pollution. Is that ringing uh, any bells? So we're talking about like promoting the Greens over Labour. Let's just get this thing started. Anto, hello. What were you doing fifty years ago? Fifty years ago, I was mm. minus eighteen years old. Oh, good. 50 years ago, <laughs> I was shoveling the snow out from my uh, garage as I uh, took the long trek to, to school on my hands, and I had to walk 50 miles each day. And there were buzzards who were constantly trying to peck out my eyes, but I wouldn't let them because I was a sprightly 23-year-old man. Anyway, I don't know what that was about. 50 years ago, Atari came out, and they are celebrating with the Atari 50 announcement game thing that's pretty impressive <laughs> sorry I, I was trying desperately to, to stifle that uh, uh, saliva i was choking on uh, <laughs> just for you podcast listeners uh so atari have announced the atari 50 uh game collection it's a collection of over 90 games spanning the many years of atari releases there will be six new games consisting of new releases in well-known <gasps> series as well as remade versions of older games now i've got a quote here we're going to get to something very very quickly but i do have a quote here about what this collection uh entails atari 50 the anniversary celebration takes players on an interactive journey through 50 years of video games via interviews with designers developers and industry leaders documentary footage product design documents high resolution original artwork and a specially curated list of more than 90 playable games now what i love about this to start off with is the fact it has all these interviews and all this artwork and all this behind the scenes and video game history stuff that we may not have seen before um, and just preserving it in the I like I'm not a massive Atari fan. I will be getting this just to watch all those documentaries. I mean, yeah, sure, I can watch it on um, like YouTube or something when it goes up and people upload it. But just to have that sort of information uh, and, and get an account of what it was like at the time when all these games were being made, uh, I think that's fantastic. And because mm. the games are so small, you can fit all this stuff on a disc. Yeah, this is going to be a really interesting collection. Um, I and again, I wasn't alive for a lot of the Atari generation to begin with, but we did have an Atari twenty six hundred when I was a kid. Um, I think it was actually the second console I played, which is a weird thing to say. Um, it's it's just going to be cool to have this video game history in tangible physical format and not lost in someone's brain or a warehouse or an office building somewhere over in America. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, now, the the second bit of really really cool news, uh, Anto. Hello. You know of a game called Sword Quest, don't you? I do. Can um, you can you briefly fill us in about what Sword Quest was? Well, what those Sword Quest games were. So there were, I think, there were meant to be five. Uh, four. Four. Yeah, uh, yeah, four. Um, they were games, adventure games, based around the. Initially, it was things like the the Tree of Life, the Four Elements. So there was, uh, I think it was Earthworld, Fireworld, and Waterworld that came out. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a fourth release, which was Airworld. Um, but it was part of this long sort of big promotional event that Atari ran back in, I think it was the late 80s. Mm -hmm. um, they ran a competition where they were giving away treasure, like actual ridiculously expensive ornaments and you know jewelry boxes and things made of white gold and 
diamond and all sorts of crazy stuff um they ran competitions where you would have to mail in your scores on the game and using things like comic book hints that came with the game to solve the puzzles um they've reprinted all those comics by the way have they yeah yeah oh that's sick somewhere um but yeah they they basically ran a competition where you would play the game mail your score in uh mail in like an answer to a secret riddle if there was a tiebreaker and then go to play a special version of each game that released at Atari headquarters for your shot at winning these these prizes. And I think the grand total, uh, the total amount of what these things were worth, totaled up to something like two hundred and seventy five thousand US dollars. Yeah, um, back in the eighties, which is back a in lot the eighties. So yeah. chuck inflation on that; it's probably worth a heck of a lot more now. Um, but the but final thing like crown and a scepter, and, and it was stuff a crown, like a scepter, and then there was like a. I can't remember what it's called, but it was like a little a box. Yep. Um, that you opened up. It was like a almost like a, I want to say a snuff box, but it wasn't a snuff box. Um, what yeah. was it? Never mind. Either way, treasures. Um, and there was the final treasure was the it was like a sword that yep. had a gold handle encrusted with like diamonds and rubies and sapphire. Um, and it's like one of the biggest video game industry mysteries is where this final treasure is and people think because it still... actually exists there's yeah. actual pictures of it and it just disappeared because uh we never got the fourth game they yeah. were cancelled beforehand we got the first three games never got the fourth one so we could never get the grand prize damn video game crash um anto hello sword quest Airworld is coming to the atari are you serious celebration yes they've made it they have oh. made it I've got the I've got it right here. Uh, Sword Quest Airworld. Yes, you read that right. After nearly forty years of waiting, the team at Digital Eclipse has created the fourth and final entry in the legendary Sword Quest series, inspired by the design concept of the original Sword Quest creator Todd Fry. <laughs> Who will that be the first so cool. to solve its mysteries and finally complete the quest? Now, there's no word on whether you get the sword or not. But this is amazing. It blew my mind that they're actually going back and doing this. Yeah, that's insane. Like, I'm miffed that you didn't give me a copy of the run sheet that had that in. Like, that's that's insane. Yeah, I, I'm I, shocked. I, like, <laughs> if you can look it up on look up the history of Sword Quest. Uh, it, it's fascinating. It is a fascinating like Atari back in the 80s when they were going so well and just had so much money to blow on ridiculous crap like this it's amazing like oh my god have you heard stories about atari back in the 80s anto i know about it the, was the alleged was cocaine intense. fueled parties and yeah like, i've heard that, many a story that involves cocaine hookers and a whole bunch of other debauchery like at a video game company video i mean i mean they were titans of the industry to begin with you know like their competition was the in television which i think was mattel electronics at the time yep and then they had the coleco vision which was owned by uh well coleco was a, an attraction uh or an app i can't remember the word it was like a condensed uh abbreviation there we go um for i think it was connecticut leather company and they made like leather products like couches and above ground pools and all this other weird stuff and then they decided to throw their hat in the ring with a video game system. But even with these two rival companies, Atari were they were they were a skyscraper in a village. Like they were huge. Um, until they buried it all in the desert. Until they buried it all in the desert. Um, I did just want to add uh, for anyone who is interested in Sword Quest, um, 
he's never going to watch this, so it doesn't matter. But James Rolfe, the angry video game nerd, he does a really, really good recap of what Sword Quest meant to the industry at the time and goes into like his experiences like growing up playing it and, and watching this unfold in real time. So just look up Angry Video Game Nerd's Sword Quest. It's like a 10-minute video. It details how crazy this competition and these prizes were at the time perfectly in 10 minutes. And it's just a really cool bit of video. Um, so go and watch that. That's a good way to get a rundown on how nuts it is that we're finally getting the fourth part to this. Yeah. That's crazy. insane. Insane. I cannot wait. I'm going to play it and uh, be very, very happy. Now, Anto, looking at the run sheet. Uh, yep. Can you please read out to me what the topic is Ooh. for this show? Uh, so it says in highlighted yellow, mystery topic that only Ben knows about. <laughs> That's right. So I, I literally, I've got a blank run sheet from that point onwards, pretty much. <laughs> you have literally nothing. So it's now time to for me to reveal the topic. Okay. Do you remember, Anto? This might this was before your time, so you may not. But I did a couple of episodes of a podcast called Retro Trigger. Mm-hmm. where I sat down with someone and uh, sort of went over the history of a particular subject. We did like Dino Riders. We did Super Nintendo. Uh, what else did we do? We did uh, oh WWE with the next WWE wrestler. Okay. They were really, really fun, but really, really labor intensive. Uh, but <laughs> okay. I did enjoy them and I have missed them. So Anto, mm. for one night only, maybe, I'm bringing back a retro trigger. Maybe, depending on how this goes. <laughs> and we are doing the original Final Fantasy VII. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Are you ready? I was wondering you why you were messaging me yesterday about what I thought about certain aspects of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> All right, here we go. Retro Trigger of Final Fantasy VII. So okay. in case you haven't heard one of these before, I have a little bit of a diatribe and we stop and chat about it. Um, I just go over the development, the history of it, the stories, the characters, what they mean, what they mean to uh, who I had on as a guest, who is basically you this time, Anto. Okay. Uh, so we're going to crack into the story. Final Fantasy VII follows Cloud Strife, a mercenary who joins an eco-terrorist organization to stop a world-colliding megacorporation from draining the parent uh, parents the planet's life essence draining and using it <laughs> as an energy source. Cloud and his allies are in pursuit of Sephiroth, a former member of the corporation who seeks to destroy the planet. During the journey, Cloud builds close friendships with his party members, including... Aerith Gainsborough, uh, yeah, okay, uh, who holds the secret to saving their world. Uh, Anto, mm-hmm. what does this story mean to you? Um, I mean, it's it's no secret. Um, it's already been brought up in chat earlier when you mentioned Final Fantasy VII and I was getting crap for it from our viewers. Seven <laughs> um, is my favorite video game of all time. Um, the story itself... Um, it's an old video game at this point. It's it's 25 years old this year. Um, but just in case someone hasn't played it yet or doesn't already know the, for the time, absolutely world-shattering spoiler that happens about halfway through, I'm not going to go into too much detail about that kind of stuff. But the story so, in so and of itself it's, is wonderful. It's a 25-year-old game. I'm spoiling the F out of it. Like, okay, cool. We'll stay away from remake for now. But if you don't know the big spoiler too bad <laughs> yeah what have you been doing why has your head been under a boulder exactly okay, so yeah the story is as you said it starts with you joining an eco-terrorist organization that seeks to stop a giant mega corporation from destroying the planet 
because in universe um the planet has uh, a spiritual stream of energy that is responsible for the cycle of life and death and rebirth and plant growth and humans being born and all that sort of stuff it's very you know fantasy-esque because it's a fantasy game uh, ultimately um Bonnie. man we're gonna have to you're gonna have to sort of like reel me in because this could yeah go okay for hours. i'm gonna reel you in there because we, we, we've got, <laughs> we, I, I purposely condensed the story to avoid this i just wanted your particular memories of it like i want to know what you think of it okay what cool it you? easy i can sum that up in one um it is probably the most character defining story i've ever experienced like this this game is the reason i play video games and is very much responsible for why i'm the person i am today and carries around a big sword and carries around a big sword <laughs> all right let's look a little bit into the background i'd be interested to know i'm assuming you know a majority of this but our listeners and viewers may not so here we go into the background development of uh final fantasy 7 began in 1994 and was originally supposed to come out on the super famicom which mm-hmm. is the super nintendo but over in japan After creating an early 2D prototype of it, the team postponed development of Final Fantasy VII to help finish Chrono Trigger before returning in 1995. And that's Mm -hmm. why those two games feel so similar. Yep. After delays and technical difficulties, Square moved production to pre-rendered video, necessitating the huge capacity of the CD-ROM format and therefore departing Nintendo from where all previous titles of the series had appeared for the PlayStation. Now, this was really big news back in the day because Final Fantasy was pretty much exclusive to Nintendo and they just jumped ship because Nintendo couldn't handle um, the the space needed for all those cutscenes and renders. That's it. Even with, you know, the 64DD add-on, which, you know, didn't release outside of Japan. um, That is literally my next sentence. It wouldn't have been (laughs) able to... It wouldn't have been able to handle the scope of of how... Just how big FF7 was at the time. Um, Do you know how big? In terms you know, of like size and space of the original, yeah. So I in think order to... it's something like one point three gigs. Yes. Yeah, so in order to fit Final Fantasy VII on the sixty-four double D, it would need to span an estimated thirty discs. Jeez, as in like thirty DD discs. Yep. Jeez, yep. because each of those discs was sixty-four meg. That would have been a video game that cost like two and a half grand to buy. <laughs> yep. So you can see why they did decide to jump ship. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure at one point they did do like a prototype version for the 64, which had characters from six in it. Uh, you had like Locke and Terra fighting a golem that looked very, very Dragon Quest-y. Right. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. They they jumped ship to Sony as soon as they saw that they were using CD technology and they went, oh, okay, we can do some cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy VII introduced more widespread science fiction elements and a more mm-hmm. realistic presentation. While the gameplay systems mainly, uh, sorry, remained largely similar to the previous entries, with the addition of new elements such as mater- uh, materia, limit breaks, and new mini games. Now, what's materia? Uh, materia is uh, the simple answer is it's how you use magic and summons. Um, in universe, it is the condensed form of Marco energy or the life stream, and lets people use the knowledge of the ancients to cast magic and spells. <laughs> right, and limit breaks. Limit breaks are sort of a an adaption of what was known as the desperation attack from mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VI. 
Um, effectively, you take a certain amount of damage, a bar fills up, and you get a unique uh, super strong ability or uh, spell to use that's unique to the character. Um, the so most like famous one would be Omni Slash, Cloud's big thing. Right. Uh, the staff of more of a hundred people had combined development and marketing had a combined development and marketing budget of around eighty million dollars, which at the time made it the most expensive game to make ever. Yep. Nice. Uh, the, the development team was split between both Square's Japan office and its new American office in Los Angeles. The American team worked primarily on city backgrounds, <laughs> but to be fair, those backgrounds are gorgeous. Like even by today's standards, they are some real pretty backgrounds. Yeah, some of the, um, well, not some of, the the entire pre-rendered sort of catalogue of backgrounds has actually been um, upscaled by fans using, you know, AI and all this cool stuff. Um, and just the artwork is is nuts. And for 1997 was, you know, people have never seen anything like it. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it was amazing. All right, let's look at the uh, couple of the characters, shall we? Okie so dokie. I'm only looking at the, the main characters. Okay, Final so Fantasy. like playable ones or? Oh, you'll see. You'll see. Okay. You'll see. You'll see. Final Fantasy VII takes place on a world referred to in game as. Are uh, we showing any footage, by the way? There should be some uh, footage. I playing can. To uh... make it non boring. Oh, there we go. This is the thing you told me not to look at for a while. Correct. Okay. Uh, I'll skip through and find some stuff. All right, as I'm going, Final Fantasy VII takes place on a world referred to in game as the planet. Though it has been retroactively named Gaia. Now, Gaia. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Gaia. I know you don't like Final Fantasy, but come on. <laughs> Whoa! No, that's bad. That no, Oh, I didn't even go joke. there. That is a bad joke, Anto. I take that no. back. I did not even realize that it sounded like that. Uh, yeah, that was an innocent mistake, but we uh, here at Hack the Dino in no Proud way supporters support. of everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, no derogative statements were meant or intended, and we apologize if we insulted anyone. That wasn't our intent. Um, so, Gaia. Yes. Were you aware of this name change happening? Um, I assumed that uh, because of previous games that it was just called Gaia to begin with. Um, right. I think it was in later media, like in Advent Children and sequel games that they made in the sort of 2000 era, um, where they sort of confirmed it was called Gaia. Um I think it was around Final Fantasy nine, I think, or ten that they confirmed it was it was Gaia. I can't remember to be sure. Right. But yeah, I always just assumed it was because that's basically the name of every world that Final Fantasy takes place in. <laughs> oh, okay. See I was uh discussing with you last night and I thought it was to give the world more of a character. Uh... Like I asked you straight up, is is Gaia the planet a character in Final Fantasy seven? oh that's okay yeah no yes to uh, see it's a weird question like yes and no (laughs) how so because like the planet is technically uh, we're getting metaphysical life force drained so therefore it it is a it's it's an entity yeah like it's it's like a marvel character (laughs) it's like ego the living planet yeah the original one that's a good way to put it yeah except it can't you know move around and impregnate women on earth or can it? Or can it? <laughs> uh, the planet's live stream is being drained for energy by the Shinra Electric Power Company, a world-dominating megacorporation headquartered in the city of Midgar. I always love that name for a city. Don't know why. It is a very cool name. Uh, Shinra's actions are weakening the planet, threatening its existence and all life. 
So that's the settings. Let's get into mm -hmm. some of these characters. First up, Cloud Strife, an yes. unsociable mercenary who claims to be a former first-class soldier who watched way too much Dragon Ball Z as a kid. <laughs> I don't know about the Dragon Ball Z part, but yes. Um... That's a fact. It's written here. It's a fact. <laughs> written by you, for sure. <laughs> um... So what, what's his appeal? As opposed to the other... like Out of all the Final Fantasy games, I cannot think of one character. Maybe Squall um, from... Is it 10? Squall is uh, from 8. 8? And that's because he's uh, ridiculed. But Cloud seems to be the one uh, hero from all Final Fantasies that your everyday layman who hasn't even really played the game knows and remembers. And why is that? Um... I think, and you know, this this is probably my interpretation, and I am absolutely open to uh, not being challenged because, like, my my opinion is not definitive. But uh, I'm open to discussion. Um, but I think Cloud is appealing because, at least, even when I played it as a as a kid for the first time, he was a character that's kind of mysterious. Like he, you know, he, as you said, touts himself as this former top tier soldier for for the enemy that you're fighting at the beginning of the game um which is already you know a pretty cool story hook but he he leans into that sort of character trope of having massive sword you know he's he's very like guts and a whole bunch of other anime characters at the time who were just rocking around with these huge swords performing superhuman feats you know he's just you know maybe it's my bias but like as a kid i was like he's cool uh you know the big sword the fact that he can move around while using this thing um you know he's mysterious he's i, I kind of disagree with the to a degree i disagree with original final fantasy 7 cloud being moody because like to me he always came across as more like quietly confident and cocky um but yeah moody? like i don't think i said moody Moody, broody. Uh, I think I got confused between what Townsy was saying in the chat. He said he was a sort of brooding oh, kind of right, character. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, like, the appeal to me was that he had a huge sword, which I was very into when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, big swords, big characters, that's cool. Um, yeah, just, I can't really sum it up in words. Uh, well, well, just uh, do, do a, an interpretive dance while I read out the next couple. Uh, Barrett I mean, Wallace. Just, just look at the guy. He's he's awesome. Brazen but fatherly leader of Avalanche, but with mm -hmm. a heart of gold. He's tough, but with a heart of gold. Uh, then we've got Tifa. Tifa Lockhart, a shy yet nurturing martial artist and childhood friend of Cloud. Now, having not finished the game, do uh, Cloud and Tifa ever become more than friends? Depending on which version of the game you played, potentially. Oh, really? Um, in the Japanese version, uh, mm -hmm. and in the Ultimania guide that came out a few years back, um, there is a scene late in the game where most of your party members leave, um, to find their reason to do the final battle. You know, they, they go away to spend time with loved ones and find their, their reason to put themselves at risk to save the world. Um, Cloud and Tifa, because of events in the story and Sephiroth's actions and stuff, don't have a home to go back to. Um, their town was burned down um, seven years prior to the game uh, starting. Uh, and Cloud's mother was murdered. Tifa's family were murdered. They they literally are the last two people from their original town. Um, outside of, I think, Tifa's martial artist teacher. 
Um, so they spend their last night before the battle together. Um, and in the Japanese version, uh, it's heavily implied that they spent the night together as a as an item. Um, just through some of the text that you read the following morning. Um, but there was a cut scene just removed from bang, the game. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Don't know what that that's means. that's the implication um but yeah there was a cut scene where uh instead of it cutting to them sitting on a rock face watching the sunrise together um on the airship that you travel around on sorry sorry sorry, sorry. <laughs> not quite um but yeah on the airship there is a space to house a chocobo which is like a giant bipedal bird that you can ride around on like a horse um there was a cutscene removed from the game that showed Cloud leaving that room first and then Tifa coming out afterwards and like brushing herself down and fixing her hair. So I'm of the opinion that, especially in later releases, that they, they very much are an item, if not, you know, explicitly so, you know. Um, but, but what this about Aerith yeah, Gainsborough? This the, is where uh, the fandom gets divided. Um, yeah, so the carefree flower merchant and one of the last surviving uh is it Kurta? Cetra. Cetra? Uh so what's a Cetra? Just very quickly, because we're running long. An ancient uh an ancient uh, I guess race of humanoids um that had the power to communicate and commune with the planet and use its life force to do things, which is why materia is important. Right, so uh spoiler alert, here we go. Here's the spoiler alert for a twenty five year old game. What makes her death so impactful? Um, she is the last remaining member of a race of people that are able to use the planet-saving magic holy, mm -hmm. which is the only way to stop the opposite force, which is called Meteor, from destroying the planet. Uh, she gets killed halfway through praying to the planet to be able to use this spell and save the world. Um, and yeah. All right. It sucks. And, uh... <laughs> Aerith is also very close with a gentleman called Zach Fair. Yes. And uh, just quickly, who is Zach Fair and why isn't he a wrestler with a name like that? Yeah, I've always wondered why like someone hasn't used that name as a stage name. It's very cool. Um, Zach is important because um, Cloud is not actually a former first class soldier. Um, he is impersonating Zach, who was his sort of idol when he was in the Shinra military force because he never actually made it into soldier. Um, Zach was like a war buddy of Clouds. He was his best friend, idol, mentor, that kind of thing. Um, they were captured after the incident at Nibelheim, which is Cloud and Tifa's hometown, where Sephiroth burned it to the ground and murdered everyone. Um, they were imprisoned, experimented on, and injected with the same alien cells that created Sephiroth. Uh, and because of this, when Zack died, the Genova cells inside Cloud allowed him to sort of metastasize his memories and impersonate him both physically and mentally. Um, so it's about three quarters of the way through the game that it's revealed Cloud is actually just a normal dude who happens to have augmented abilities because of his experimentation, and he's been mimicking Zack the entire time. Um, and Aerith I knows this. And that's why she sort of interacts with Cloud the way she does until she dies. All right, well, let's have a look at some of these bad guys. First up, Jeez. Rufus Shinra, son of President Shinra and later leader of the Shinra Corporation. Bad dude? Um, yes and no. Um, I think he's a 
he's a better leader than his old man was. Um, but he's still ultimately a bad guy. Um, he runs a company that is destroying the world. Um, intends to take over his father's work, but instead of ruling with money, rule with fear and oppression and violence. So he's kind of bad. Uh, as a character design, though, especially in remake, sick. <laughs> Uh, what about Hojo, the mad scientist who has a big reveal at the end? Yeah, so Hojo is a bit of a bit of a mother fluffer. Um, he he's a bit of a mother father, if you know what I'm saying. He's also a mother father. Yes, um, he is Sephiroth's biological father. Um, Spoiler: There is no, no. He's biological father of Sephiroth. Um, he and a woman he was working with during the Genova project, which is what was used to create Sephiroth, um, hooked up, had a baby, and he injected alien cells into the fetus, and that's what Sephiroth is. Metal. Um, yeah, he's a bad dude, and he's the guy who experimented on Zack and Cloud, and is the reason Zack died. All right, let's talk about the big man himself then. Yes. The one-winged angel himself, a former soldier who reappears several years after he was thought dead and seeks to harm the planet and become a god himself... I'm talking about that silver-haired god of Pantene. Sephiroth! He's got nice hair. He does have nice hair. Uh, Sephiroth, um, a quintessent, like, iconic bad guy. Absolutely iconic. Um, Like you said with Cloud, you can say the name Sephiroth to anyone who knows video games but maybe doesn't care about Final Fantasy, Mm -hmm. and they'll still know who you're talking about. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially now, thanks to things like Smash Bros. Ultimate. Um, yeah, he's just, his whole deal is he believes mistakenly so that he is the rightful heir to the planet and deserves to rule. Um, and then decides for some reason or another that he's going to destroy it completely and absorb all of the energy that comes from murdering the planet to become a god and travel the universe. Um, there's not much more evil you can get, I don't think. (laughs) Well, you can not like puppies. I mean, yeah, you could evil. use a puppy to murder a kitten that's stealing candy from a baby, I guess. Um, Interesting. That's pretty evil. Uh, um, let's go into a little bit of uh, the original plot and outline very, very quickly. I'm just going to yes. jump around a bit because uh, we have run a little bit long, but that's okay. I remembered all of a sudden I don't have a full hour for this, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I've written a bit. Uh, but the original plot outline for the 2D Super Nintendo or Super Famicom version, uh, the game setting was envisioned in New York City in 1999. Um, do you know what else happened in a very famous game developed by Square Enix in 1999? I don't know what you're alluding to, no. Chrono Trigger, Lavos attacked in 1999. Oh, there you go. See, I've not finished Chrono Trigger, so... Uh, similar to the <laughs> final story, the main characters were part of an organization trying to destroy Maker Reactors, but they were pursued by a hot-blooded detective named Joe. <laughs> yep, Joe. Okay. The main characters would eventually blow up the city. An early version of the life stream concept was present at this stage. Square eventually used the New York setting in Parasite Eve in 1998. See, I knew that bit. I knew Parasite Eve was related somehow to the original development, but I didn't know any of the other stuff about blowing up New York. Holy crap. (laughs) Um, In regards to Sephiroth, uh, the pursuit of Sephiroth that comprised most of the main narrative was suggested by Nomura, as uh, nothing similar had been done in the series like that before. Uh, And, of course, getting on to possibly one of the most iconic moments in the game, Writers wanted to depict Aerith's death death as sudden and unexpected, leaving, quote, not a dramatic feeling, but great emptiness 
feelings of reality and not Hollywood. After Aerith's death, it was planned for most of the main cast to die shortly before the final battle. The idea was vetoed as it was thought it would undermine the impact of Aerith's death. Um, that's pretty cool. Like, that is good writing. Like, to, to kill off a beloved character halfway through and then to make the decision, no, it'll, if anyone it's else permanent. dies, it'll cheapen. Yeah. Like, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. Um, which I think is why it's so heartbreaking now. It's always been one of those things that, um, you know, if you know the reason behind why that decision was made, it makes a lot of sense. And thematically, it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm. Fans have always complained, however, that in a universe where characters can die and be brought back with a feather from a mystical bird, <laughs> that, you know, why doesn't that work anymore? Um, but different yeah, planet. different planet, different rules, no physics. Yep. That's, right. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, look, very, very quickly. Yes. Very quickly. Let's just very quickly touch on the music. Uh, uh, we're going to have to sum it up in like five words or less because again i will talk for hours okay tell me about very very quickly as quickly as you can one wing and angel talk about it um what is it i didn't think you were going to go there i thought you were just going to ask me what i thought of the soundtrack in general um one winged angel is a huge huge like 12 minute long song um which you know was why written... it's so long just because they like, wanted it to be epic. <laughs> well, that and but do you know how it was uh, the composition, how it was composed. I th think I do, but I don't want to get it wrong. Oh, who cares? You're wrong. Who cares? Um, oh, I know it was, it was it was too much almost for the PlayStation to handle initially. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, and it was for the PC. Definitely yeah. it was for the PC. Uh, the composer, I forget his name now, composed Nobuo Yamatsu. Bit, that's the one. Composed a bit each day. That's right. Yeah, he did it in stages. Um, yeah. It's one of the best pieces of music in the soundtrack, but the soundtrack in general just has wildly different pieces. Um, the game starts sort of quite downtrodden. You leave Midgar and start the journey proper. It's sort of the music picks up, starts to sound a bit more hopeful and optimistic. The theme that plays when Aerith dies, which, you know, ironically is called Aerith's Theme um beautiful like orchestral piano piece it's just yeah the music in this game is one of my favorite soundtracks ever closely followed by final fantasy 9 um all right well let's talk yeah. about how uh it was received when it was released so final fantasy 7 was announced in february 1996 a playable demo was included on a disc uh which was given away at the 1996 tokyo game show dubbed the Squ uh dub squares preview extra Final Fantasy VII, and SIGGRAPH 95 works. Now, do you have one of those discs, Anto? I do not. How much do they go for? Uh, I'd have to look it up, but I think the last time I checked, a couple of hundred bucks at least. Wow, that's crazy. And the only way you could have had these was, was if you were at TGS. Uh, TGS 1996, yeah. Wow. Uh, it was released on January 31 in 1997 in Japan. A re-release of the game, based on its Western version, titled Final Fantasy VII International, was released on October 2nd in 1997. So what are the differences uh, between these two? Uh, the Japanese International re-release, um, the original version of the game didn't have the super bosses. Right. So FF7 International for Japan had the ruby and emerald weapon fights that the rest of the world got by default. And it fixed up a few other uh, bugs and issues with the game that launched initially because it was a good six or seven months between the launch of 
the Japanese version and the Western, like, US version. Right. Now, they really went into overdrive promoting this game as well. I remember seeing the ads in comic books because I was mm-hmm. heavily into X-Men and Spider-Man back in 1997. Uh, and every single comic book on either the interior or the exterior page uh, of the cover, like the inside of the front cover or the back cover, had Final Fantasy VII, that uh, iconic shot of Cloud looking up at one of the towers with his sword there. Um, and like just even seeing that, I went, oh, what's that game? Oh, what's that? I'm pretty sure you're referring to this one. Oh, he's bringing it up. Look at that. Um, The game received universal acclaim for critics upon release, scoring 95% or higher in most publications at the time. Final Fantasy VII was given numerous Game of the Year awards in 1997. Digitizer ranked it as the second, second best game of 1997. After Super Mario 64. Had to get that one in. Uh, it sold more than 13.3 million copies worldwide. Now, Anto. Yes. I think we've got... Before we head into Quiz on Your Face, we've got time <laughs> for a very quick Final Fantasy VII quiz. Oh, no. You're going to And these are me, hard. These are <laughs> hard-ass questions. Okay. So if you don't know, it's okay. Okay? You've I will probably say picked though, the most esoteric things, haven't you? No, I will give you a clue. Okay. Um, They are all based on Sephiroth because he's a badass. Okay. And I like badasses. <laughs> so let's see how well you know Sephiroth. Okay, here we go. Uh, Hell's Gate is Sephiroth's final smash move and is based on Aerith's death scene in the original. Where did that move first appear? I mean, it's, not, it's not his final smash in Smash Ultimate. His final Isn't smash it? is uh, Supernova. But he has that move, right? But Hell's Gate is his down A attack. Um, Correct. That's where I messed up. Yeah, sorry. My bad. Uh, yeah, Hell's Gate. Where did it appear? I'm fairly certain as far as a, like just first appearance without a name on the screen or just in general. Uh, give me both. I think the first appearance of it as a move you could perform was in the PS1 fighting game Urgaze. Correct! Yes! Um, and yeah, and then it was in Dissidia, the fighting game on PSP. Excellent. I wasn't sure if you knew that. Part of me thought, yeah, surely you must know that. But uh, I yeah, loved Cloud- that game because of the Final Fantasy characters. Cloud was in that game as well, wasn't he? Uh, Cloud, Sephiroth, Tifa, and Vincent. And Yuffie. Wow. Cool. Yeah, had a whole bunch of them because it was a square-developed fighter. Question number two. Yes. Besides one, each voice actor, both Japanese and English, who has voiced Sephiroth, has also voiced which superhero? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, isn't it? um... Every single person, besides one, both Japanese and English, who has ever voiced Sephiroth, has also voiced this superhero. Can I ask you to give me a hint based on whether or not it's a Japanese superhero or an American one? It is an American superhero. Damn it, I thought you were going to say it was Japanese and I was going to go with Ultraman. Um, Ooh, that's a toughie. I'm going to just take a flat-out guess. Yep. Okay, wait, no. Can I ask for one more hint? All right. Marvel or DC? DC. Ooh, that's even harder. Damn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Superhero not comic book character 
superhero. Damn it, I don't know many DC superheroes. Um, Three, two, one. Guess. Don't know. Uh, Superman. It's Superman. I was... I was hedging my bets on Superman or for some reason Green Lantern? No, nah, Superman. Every single person bar one. Both Japanese and English. I thought that was crazy. Uh, All right, s- uh, one of Sephiroth's voice actors was also uh, a member of NSYNC. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and Superman. Who would have thought? Does Sephiroth have nipples? Uh, in laser releases, yes. <laughs> when was it confirmed? Ooh. I'm going to say Dissidia on PSP. No. No? Smash Brothers. Really? In, in Dissidia, they put his hair purposely over there. So he oh, that's... Yeah, that's a good point. Characters but even before, even before Smash Brothers, uh, Tokyo Game Show had a life-size statue of him in the floor that had nipples. And that was like... Yeah, was that one's still in the Square Enix Cafe. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Damn. All right, easy one. One-winged angel. Who's the wrestler who uses it as a finisher? That's not an easy one. I know nothing about wrestling. I've mentioned it numerous times on the show. If you listen Yeah, I to know, it, but because it's wrestling, I don't... Oh, uh, God. Um, does his first name begin with R? No. Damn it, don't know. <laughs> Kenny Omega. His finisher is called the One-Winged Angel, and it has only ever been kicked out of twice. Yep. No, I, I do remember you saying Kenny Omega. Yep. Amazing, amazing wrestler. All right, that's it. That's that's all the Final Fantasy stuff I have for. Uh, was that a nice surprise, Anto? That was a good surprise. surprise. I like that. That's fun. Um, I might do another one later on in the future. I have been toying with the idea of bringing, bringing Retro Trigger back, but, um, you know, time, and I don't have much of that. But yeah. do you know what no, we do we... have time for? Uh, quiz on your face. Time to quiz on your face. Interestingly, we're going to yeah. play it even though Floppy's not here. And I'm going to take as many chances as I can to take the lead. <laughs> well, that's the uh, the right you have of turning up. Yeah. Uh, instead of battling aliens on a moon. So uh, when a we moon. last left, yes, just, well, we don't know which one. Yeah. Could be Europa. Uh, ben S. from Toy Power Podcast was on one. Trent from Toy Power Podcast was on two. Braden was on five. Jazz is on two. Anto, you're on 17. And Floppy's on 18. So you have the chance to take the lead here. I have four multiple choice questions <laughs> based on video game random knowledge. Are you ready to go, Anto? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. <laughs> Townsie just said get Jazz in. <laughs> we could. Jazz, are you there? No, she's not here. No, we she's could. not here. She just told she's you here. she's not here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not here. Go away. Leave me alone. Okay. Question number one. Mm-hmm. Sonic Ooh. was originally which type of animal at first? Was he A, an armadillo, B, a porcupine, C, a dog, or D, a man with a moustache? Ooh. Can you repeat the first two choices? Because I do not remember them. A, armadillo, or B, porcupine? I'm going to guess based on the fact that his name before Sonic was Mr. Needlemouse with Porcupine. Incorrect. It was an armadillo. Really? Yes. Sonic boy doesn't get it right. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Okay. So you're still one behind uh, Floppy. Floppy's still in the lead on 18. Question number two. Mm -hmm. 
And this one's from Dylan the Villain. Hey. Patreon supporter Dylan the Villain. Be sure to chat over him. Uh, chat over him? Chat with him over on our Discord. You can yeah. uh, find the free one over at hackthedino.com. Come on in. The first computer game, Tennis for Two, was made in what year? A, 1957. B, 1958. C, 1959. Or D, 1960. 57. Incorrect. 1958. Damn it. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, Anto, I actually uh, questioned Dylan on this because I thought it was Space War. And then I Dylan thought it was up. Space War. No, yeah, same. I knew I had the story right of it in the basement of a physics building over in the US. Uh, but it was, yeah, tennis for two. I forgot that they had tournaments and everything. Mm. But then Space War came shortly thereafter. So you still haven't got a point. This was your Damn opportunity <laughs> to catch up and blitz floppy. And hey, look, I've still got two more, okay? All right. This one I'm sure you'll get. Okay, you ready? Oh, now you've said that. There's more pressure and I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> it's almost like I did it on purpose. Ooh. <laughs> the world's longest fanfic is based on which video game? Ooh, I know it. I think. A, Metroid. B, Pong. C, Super Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers. Or D, Leisure Shoot Larry. No, I'm calling it Smash Brothers. Correct. It's like something like 10,828 words or something currently. What is wrong with people? People right. will write erotic fan fiction about anything. <laughs> Are you ready for the last one? Yes. Now, this one is from Patreon supporter and leader of Game Boy Games, Michael Towns. As such, there's a bit of text. Okay, so it's a long question. Yeah. Okay. The Game Boy title, Baby T-Rex, was released in Europe in 1993, but was subsequently reskinned in multiple other territories. Which classic 90s early morning show was this Australian game based on? Was it A, Cheese TV, B, Good Morning Australia with Bert Newton, C, Agro's Cartoon Connection, or D, as Michael Towns puts it, puts it, Super Mario Brothers 2. Did you know that Super Mario Brothers 2 over here wasn't actually Super Mario Brothers 2? Did you know? Did you? Did you? Did you? I need scissors. 61. Um, so, this is a bit of a tough one because I only know that Cheese TV is a real thing. Right. Because I'm not Australian. <laughs> so, I'm going to go with the only thing I know and guess that it was B. <laughs> Good morning, Australia with Bert Newton. No. Yep. <laughs> it was Cheese TV, wasn't it? No, it was Agro's Cartoon Connection. I've never even heard of that. Uh, Agro is a little Muppet. I've actually got this game. It's very, very hard to come by. Um, it's actually over there. I should have grabbed it. But yeah, Agro Saw is what it's called. Uh North America got a version based on the animated film We're Back. Uh, Sweden got a version of a popular comic strip and short film series and eventually feature film called Bamsey. Uh, he writes a lot of stuff. But yeah, basically, uh, we it's a reskin game and we got aggro. Okay, yeah. I Totally fair question for an Australian, I guess, but I have never heard of anything outside of Cheese TV, and I only know who they are because I watched a panel at PAX a few years ago that I met the guys. So at the end of that round... I tied with Floppy. 
Ben S on one, Trent on two, Braden on five, Jazz on two, Anto on 18, and Floppy on 18. Wow. I had such high hopes for you. I should have done what I joked and made this a Final Fantasy VII quiz. Yeah, why can't we do that? Let's do it now. <laughs> no, because now we've been Hack the Dino, and this has been our gaming cast, where we talk about the past, present, and future of video games. But this isn't all we do. Anto. Hello. Do you do? Uh, well, um, outside of this and other Hack the Dino-related things, hackthedodo.com, go to it, go, go check it out, go, go. Um, oh. I've started a new Instagram channel, uh, oh. channel, profile, account, account's probably the best way to t- talk about it. Um, true to my pre-existing and forever existing character, I've started a Final Fantasy page. OnlyFans, that's on right, Instagram. you can see Anto over at OnlyFans. Anto, tell us about your OnlyFans. Uh, it's called Only Final Fantasy. <laughs> um no so i have created an instagram page called uh final fanto c because uh, you know puns are I'm, fun i'm very proud. and final fant c in all capitals was taken um yeah I, i'm just putting up pictures and little spiels about my final fantasy collection um i'm gonna try and pull it up on here which i hope i can uh no save that for your only fans I don't have an OnlyFans, and if I did, sure you do. would pay for it. <laughs> Everyone would pay for it. Sign off in the chat if you'd play to see Anto's OnlyFans. It's just him cooking. Yeah, it's just me cooking in the nude all the time. Yeah. That big old hog. <laughs> Can we not talk about my hog on podcast again? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so I found it. Um, give Your me a sec. Fan? No, not my OnlyFans. Shut up. Stop talking about my goddamn OnlyFans. <laughs> Well, you, you know, you got to promote it, Anto. Otherwise, no one will know about your OnlyFans. So, here we go. It's very new. Um, it's just, again, collection stuff that I have. Uh, I recently picked up the Crystal Edition of Final Fantasy III, which came with a branded DS Lite. That is so nice. That is a sexy system and sexy it's package. It's really nice. Uh, the really artwork good. is amazing. Um, I was showing Ben yesterday when we were testing this setup. Uh, the system is basically untouched. I don't yeah. think it was ever used. It's pristine, and I didn't pay a lot of money for it. <laughs> and Anto, do you want to tell the people out there what you did? What did I do? How did you play that that DS? What did you do? Oh, um, so I was under the assumption that a two and a half volt rated Australian power adapter for a DS Lite would be fine with a Japanese system. Um, Ben has since told me that that's probably not a good idea, so nope. I need to get a backup, excuse me, uh, DS charger, because that's uh, that's a no-go, just in case it blows up. Yes, we've got you covered, don't worry about that. <laughs> but um, when I'm not doing this... Oh, sorry, have you finished? What's your OnlyFans? I have finished. Okay, good. He must have been looking at his OnlyFans. Uh, when I am not looking at Anto's OnlyFans, uh, I am doing many other things, like putting my collection up over at Mr. Benjamin on Instagram. You can go over there and, and give me a follow and see all the cool stuff that I'm looking at right now because I never get to sit in this chair and look at all my cool stuff while doing this show. I get distracted real easy because I've got a lot of cool stuff. So Mr. Benjam, at Mr. Benjam. But also head on over to at Bad Game Arts, where I, I often forget to put bad game art that has appeared in video game history, in magazines and in video games, and uh, put it hurriedly up uh, like five minutes before the show starts. 
So, uh, if we can head on over to uh, Bad Game Arts, I can have a look at what I've put up. And can you tell that I'm stalling for time because I can't remember myself? Good. We are on the Bad Game Arts page. Currently, we are looking at a Japanese magazine cover which has Mario stepping on a normal turtle. <laughs> yeah, isn't that awful? That is Holy awful. crap, Mario. What is going on there? Um, and then the next one over, we have a baseball game from 2020, Future Baseball in 2020. Now, you might look at that and go, oh, it's not that bad. It's got a guy with a big old mouth yelling out and everything. But if you look just to the right of the green baseball player, there's a I'm little sure robot. I'm not sure spines are meant to work like that. There is a little robot hiding there. And we don't have robots in baseball. No, we don't. So you know what I'm saying? Someone's altered the timeline. Mm-hmm. We have to go back. <laughs> back to the future. And finally, a uh, big old chonky dragon. Let's see that chonky boy. Look at him. He's he's eager to eat that jester. He's, he's going to chomp him all up and add him to the, the family that's in his belly. Like a good old dragon person. That's some pretty bad, bad game bad arts. Game art. <laughs> bad game arts. But bad game arts. Remember, bad game arts. Because bad game art was already taken, so bad game arts. S Did we talk about Kickmaster? Oh, we've talked about Kickmaster a oh, whole bunch. So, and bad. if you like Kickmasters, head on over to Anto's OnlyFans, where he can kick your master or make you a master. He he can be your master of the universe if your universe is your penis. <laughs>